Uh, Frank Barassa was a Canadian citizen, small business owner, and uh, he had this moment one day as he's driving into work, he gets stopped at a stoplight, and it was one of those moments where just a season of challenge and long hours, it just hit him all at once. He looked back over the last couple months and realized he'd been putting in back-to-back 20-hour days as a small business owner, trying to make sure he could make payroll, trying to make sure that the business could stay open and successful. And he's just feeling exhausted and he's feeling burned out. And on this particular morning, as he stopped at that stoplight, he's, he's looking out the window and he starts to ask himself these sort of like existential questions, right? Why am I doing this? There's got to be another way. I'm, I'm beyond exhausted. And Frank pointed to that moment in his life. He said, this light bulb went off and he goes, well, the reason I'm doing this is because I, I need money to pay my bills and to support my family. And, and he had this thought, what if I cut out the middle part of the process? What if I sold my business and made counterfeit money? So Frank decides to sell his business and he spends months researching the, the kind of paper to use. And so on the black market, he finds a paper supplier and he spends thousands of dollars to buy this paper. And he spends tens of thousands of dollars to buy a printing press and all of the equipment and the special ink needed. And he sets to work printing counterfeit currency. And what he would do is he would print millions of dollars of currency and then sell it for a percentage of its face value on the black market. So if he's printed $10 million of fake currency, he would sell it for $3 million. And the benefit was he would get real money even as he sold the counterfeit money. Now, he would go on to print hundreds of millions of, of fake currency, one of the most prolific counterfeiters in history. The problem was he printed so much that eventually, right, it led to his downfall. It led to him getting caught. Now, the federal agents who specialize in detecting counterfeit currency, part of the reason they're so good at their job is because of how they're taught to detect it. Now, in order to to find counterfeit currency, what these federal agents do is they spend hours and hours and hours and hours studying the real thing. In other words, they saturate their lives in knowing the feel of the real money and knowing the look of the real money and knowing all of the security features. In other words, they are so saturated in the true currency that when the deception is there, they readily identify it as being wrong, as being deceptive, as being a lie, because they're so saturated in the truth. Here's the big idea of where I want to take us today, church. We need to remain rooted in the truth of God's word, right? We, we've been talking about places where we've been walking in lies and deceptions, where the enemy has led us astray. And we've been talking about how when we're lied to, when we're deceived, when, when that becomes a belief in us, that it leads to sinful and broken ways of living. It leads to places in our life that are so much less than what God has called us to do and to be in him. And so church, I think just like those federal agents who know the look and the texture and and everything about the, the real, the truth, right? We need to be rooted deeply in the truth of God's word so that when we encounter deception, when we encounter lies, we know immediately that it's a lie of the enemy because we are rooted so deeply in the truth of God's word. So as we push towards getting there, I want to just recap where we've been the last couple of weeks. Last week, we talked about this idea of truth and transformation, and we talked about the reality that when we live in a place of deception and it becomes a belief system, that it leads to thoughts and actions that are broken and sinful, and it can become a cycle of broken and sinful living that becomes rutted and rooted so deeply in us that we go, I can't break free from this. 
And so in that pathway of truth and transformation, we talked about the importance of confession, acknowledging before God those places, repentance. The word repentance means in the Hebrews, teshuva. It means to turn or to return. This is a radical reorienting of our life back to Jesus Christ. And we talked about the fundamental importance of declaring the truth of God's word, of surrendering our lives in faith to Jesus Christ and walking in a transformed life in and through Christ. So you remember, hopefully last week, that we talked about Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let me read that for us again. There, Paul says to the church in Rome, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Let let me pause there for a second. Paul says, God is so merciful. And previously in Romans, Paul had talked about God justifies the ungodly and the unrighteous. He makes us right with him through his life, death, and resurrection on the cross. And Paul says, because God is gracious and merciful, he goes, you can offer your body as a living sacrifice before him. Submit and surrender your life totally and completely to the lordship of Jesus Christ so that you can live a holy, that is a set apart life that is pleasing to God because we're walking in righteousness. Verse two, he says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so last week we talked about how that phrase, be transformed, did you notice it's in the passive? I do not transform my own life, be transformed. That is the work that God does in me. I am the passive recipient of the transformative power of God's grace and the truth of his word that changes who I am. It is God that sets me free from the places of brokenness and sinfulness that I cannot break free from myself. And and notice likewise, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word renewing, it's also in the passive. I don't renew my own mind. God renews my mind as I submit and surrender fully to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so that's one of the key questions. Will we surrender fully and completely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? And I want to push this conversation one step deeper to ask this question. Will we remain rooted in the word of God as it outlines the way for us to live rightly? Now, last week, we talked about the transformative power of God's word. We read Psalm 119, 105. Let me bring us back to that again. In Psalm 119, the psalmist talks about the power of God's word to guide us in righteousness, the power of God's word to transform our lives. He says this, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me, and they make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I've kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. I've taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous decrees, your righteous laws. And so we talked about how the psalmist says, I love the word of God. I I, I do everything I can to walk in obedience to the the, the law and to the precepts of God. And he says, I have more wisdom than my enemies, more insight than my teachers, more understanding than the elders. And so we talked about how for the psalmist, he recognizes that the truth of God's word is transformative as he aligns his life in obedience and in submission to the truth of the word. It changes his life. He says, I hate every evil path and I do what I can to save every wrong path as I follow the word of God. Because the word of God is transformative. Now, did you notice that the writer of the Psalms, he talks about how he's saturating his life in the word. 
He says, I meditate on it all day long. He, he's thinking about and ruminating on and meditating on the word. It consumes his mind. He's always thinking about God's word. And, and then in 105, he uses uh, this analogy, and it's maybe one of the more common passages of scripture. He said, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Now, when he talks about the word of God being a lamp, this, this is the kind of lamp he has in mind, right? He's not thinking the electric lamp in your living room. They don't have street lights. When he talks about the word of God being a lamp, he he's, has in mind the lamp of their day, which would have been a small clay lamp like this filled with olive oil. Now, the thing about this light is if I'm going to go walk outside at night, I don't just turn on the bright light in the farmyard, right? In ancient Israel, if I'm going to go outside and I need the lamp to guide my way, the lamp comes with me. And step by step, right, the lamp guides my life. The idea for the psalmist, right, is I bring the word of God with me everywhere I go because I'm meditating on it, because I'm ruminating on it, because my life is saturated in the truth of God's word. It is a guide for me. It goes everywhere with me. His life is saturated in the truth of God's word. And my question for us, church, is likewise, will we live a life saturated in the truth of God's word? Will we have an urgency behind the truth of scripture that says this is what guides us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ as we submit to his lordship? So I want to come back to that question and that big idea. We need to remain rooted in God's word as it guides us in the right way of salvation and right living. We have to remain rooted in God's word. So as we flesh this out today and push deeper into it, I want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is writing to Timothy, who's a young pastor in the church at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is an incredibly pagan culture. Uh, Ephesus had a large temple to a false god named Artemis, who was a fertility goddess. And so this, this was a culture that struggled to walk in truth. And now as Paul writes to Timothy in chapter three, he particularly addresses the, the reality that in Ephesus, there was a large group of false teachers who were deceiving the believers. And so Paul writes this particular part of, of uh, this letter to Timothy to encourage him to continue to walk in the truth and to proclaim the two. Second Timothy chapter three. Paul says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last day. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They're the kind who worm their way into the homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires." always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Giannis and Yambres oppose Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of these men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, which kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know that those from whom you've learned it. 
and how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, you probably noticed that Paul starts this portion of the letter with a, a rather dismal list. He says people in these times will be lovers of money, lovers of, of, of pleasure and slanderers and rash. And, and, and he lists this whole uh, list of things that the, the false teachers have been living and walking in. And, and then Paul makes this interesting observation about the false teachers. He, in verse 5, says they have a form of godliness but deny its power. And what Paul means by this is these false teachers are using religious language to, to sort of worm their way into, one, uh, places where women who were uneducated in the time would be more susceptible to false teaching. And so these false teachers are trying to take advantage of the most vulnerable in this culture to spread these false teachings. And he says they use the right religious language, but he says when you look at the character of their life, they're not walking in the righteousness of God. They're slanders, they're rash, they're conceited. They're, they're lovers of pleasure, lovers of money. Paul goes, there's this breakdown between what they say and how they live. That's a powerful phrase to have the form of godliness, but to deny its power. They want to look religious, but they lack the character and integrity of what it actually is to be people living and walking righteously. So as Paul writes to Timothy, one of the key points that Paul makes is this. We need to know the truth, yes, but we need to live out the truth. For Paul, there's this importance of knowing the truth that translates to life change and transformation, that we live differently, aligned with the truth of God's word. Now, Paul contrasts the false teachers. He says they have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Listen to what Paul says in verse 10, as he writes specifically to Timothy. He says, you, Timothy, however, know all about my way of life, my, my, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. Do you hear what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, I'm not like the false teachers. Paul says, Timothy, you know my life, that I lived with character and integrity, that I walked with patience and love and endurance. Paul goes, I was even willing to suffer persecution for the cause of Christ because Paul walked in obedience and conformity. There, there, there was a deep character and integrity to how Paul lived. He not only knows the truth and proclaims the truth, but Paul walks in conformity to the truth. And, and church, this is one of our key questions for us right? The transformative power of the word is not just knowing it intellectually, but it's saying, will we be changed by the power of the transformative potential of God's word to walk in righteousness as scripture describes and defines it? To not just know, but to walk as people of integrity who walk in true godliness, in true righteousness, according to the word of God. Now, for Paul, he says, we need to not only know and live out the truth, but he encourages Timothy, secondly, to continue steadfastly in the truth of God's word. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, right? He, he says, Timothy, you're not like that. Don't go on deceiving or being deceived. That's not you, Timothy. As for you, he says, continue in what you've learned. That's the gospel that Paul proclaimed to him and what you've learned and have become convinced of. Other translations translate that as what you've steadfastly or firmly believed. In other words, as Paul writes to Timothy, he goes, Timothy, do not abandon the truth. Saturate your life on it. He goes, Timothy, you watched how I lived, that I walked in the truth. I walked transformatively in the power of God's word. My life was changed and I was different. And so he says, Timothy, continue in the truth of the gospel. You've been convinced of it. And in fact, in verse 15, he says, um, and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures. 
This is what Timothy grew up in. His family knew the truth and the power of the scriptures. And Paul goes, Timothy, in this culture where there's so many lies and deception, do not abandon the power and the truth of God's word. Continue in it. Remain steadfast in it. And church, we have got to be the same way. We have to continue knowing and living according to the word of God, submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ, submitted to the authority of God's word, to be steadfastly and firmly convinced that God's word describes for us righteous living in and through Jesus Christ, that it guides us in that way of right living. Now, here's the question. Why is God's word authoritative in our life? And, and I think this is one of the most powerful things that Paul says, right? And here's this core truth that we have to hold to. The Bible is powerful in our lives because it is God-breathed and inspired. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Do you ever think when we call the Bible the word of God, it's this beautiful truth that this is God's word to his people, that God gives us wisdom and insight and understanding. This is what the psalmist was saying. I have more wisdom than my enemies, more insight than my teachers, more understanding than the elders, because the Bible is God's word to his people. Listen, church, if God has given us his word of wisdom, why would we not align our lives with the truth of its word? Why would we not continue steadfastly in it? And, and the beautiful power of the word is that because it is God-breathed and God-inspired, when we open God's word and we are saturated in God's truth, the Holy Spirit of God is working and active in our lives in and through the truth of God's word. It's living and active and powerful. Now, I, I love how practical Paul uh, gets in this passage. He said, all scripture is God-breathed, and so it's powerful in our, in our lives because it's inspired by him. But then Paul gives us specific ways that God's word guides us. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So let's talk about this for a second. How does God's word guide us? Number one, God's word guides us in teaching. And by that, I think Paul means sound doctrine and right belief. And so Timothy is living in this culture where there are all sorts of false beliefs and all sorts of false ideologies, not unlike our culture today, that are floating around. And, and Paul tells Timothy, continue in this, be steadfast in this. He goes, God's word guides us in right doctrine and in true teaching. Timothy, stay faithful to the power and to the truth of God's word. And so the word of God guides us in right teaching and right doctrine and right belief. God's word also rebukes. Now, th this one isn't as fun, right? I, I don't love rebuke, right? It always feels hard. And yet the beautiful truth of God's word is that it rebukes and scripture shows us where we're wrong. That the, at times and places when we're living in ways that are broken and sinful, ways that are in contrary to God's word, as you read the word of God, it will describe for us not only right ways of living, but God's word describes for us sinful and ungodly and wrong ways of living. And so when God's word bring rebukes, brings rebuke, it is a warning sign that we are headed down a destructive path. So maybe you've had an experience like this. I'll just, for an example, Ephesians 4, Right, 30 and 31 and 32, Paul says this to the church at Ephesus, which, by the way, is the church that Timothy was a pastor in. He tells them in chapter 4, he says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Hey, have you ever had a moment where you're reading scripture and you read something like that and you feel the rebuke of God's word? 
through the Holy Spirit in your heart and life? Because you read that, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, be kind and compassionate. And maybe you have this moment where you remember that conversation with your boss at work. And you remember the bitterness that was in your heart. Or, or maybe you're thinking about that harsh conversation you had with your spouse and you're going, man, I was not kind and compassionate. Or, or maybe you're thinking about that, that family member who hurt and wounded and offend you and there's anger and you have malice in your heart and the scripture is bringing rebuke that those things cannot be left unaddressed. Paul says you must get rid of those things and you must be kind and compassionate. And the rebuke of scripture offers us this corrective moment to say these things cannot go unaddressed. Now, here's, here's actually the beautiful truth about rebuke is that where scripture rebukes us and guides us in the truth, it is really a gift of God's grace because it, without rebuke, we would continue down a path of destruction. But where the word of God brings rebuke and brings correction, it sets us back, back on a path of righteousness if we'll walk in obedience and conformity to it. If you knew that somebody was headed on a path of destruction, right, you would want to stop them. You would want to say, no, don't continue. And where God's word rebukes us, it is the gift of God's grace to say, this leads towards a path of judgment and destruction and separation. So God's word teaches sound doctrine, right belief. God's word rebukes, showing us where we're wrong. And God's word corrects, right? Scripture guides us in realigning to righteousness in Christ. Not only does it say, get rid of these things, but it talks about like the fruit of the spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so scripture defines for us right doctrine and teaching. It shows us wrong ways to live and it provides correction to say, here's the right way to live. And so when I read the fruit of the spirit, there's this moment where I go, does my life exhibit those things? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And scripture offers a corrective to say, here's what your life should look like. Living in obedience in the truth of God's word. And Paul says scripture is profitable. It's effective in teaching, rebuking, correcting. And he says, training in righteousness. And so scripture provides the foundational truth for right living. And at some level, teaching, rebuking, correcting, that is part of the training in righteousness process right? The scripture is telling us here's wrong ways to live and here's right ways to live. Here's right doctrine and belief. All of that is part of the training process for what it is to walk righteously in relationship with Jesus Christ. And so God's word for us becomes a training manual for what it looks like to live and to walk with rightly aligned in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So again, church, here's this question. Will we saturate our lives in the truth of God's word? Think about that. This is, this Bible is the truth of God's word to his people. And my concern sometimes is that we're such a busy culture, such a distracted culture that we let the urgency of all the things we have to do distract us from the importance and the significance of the power of God's word in our lives. This is not optional. I believe that we are called to be a people rooted, deeply saturated in the truth of God's word, submitted to the lordship of Christ and submitted to the authority of scripture as it teaches, guides, rebukes, corrects, and trains us in the way of right living in Christ. Let me talk for a little bit about saturating our life in the truth of God's word. I want to go back to Psalm chapter one. And here I think, 
God describes for us what it looks like to live a life saturated in the word. I want to go back and just look again at the transformative power of scripture. Psalm chapter one. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They're like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now, I I want us to notice several things about this passage. Notice that the writer of the psalm begins with this word, blessed. He means, oh, the goodness or the rightness, oh, the joy of the one. And he describes both a rebuke and he describes a right way of living. He begins with the negative. He said, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Stand in the way of the sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Now, what I think is so powerful about this description is the writer of the psalmist describes a disposition in which one is settling into a sinful, broken path. Notice how he begins with walking. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. And then he says, blessed is the one who does not stand in the way of the sinners and then sit in the seat of the mocker. Do you see how he describes this disposition of getting settled into a place of brokenness and sinful living? And he says, blessed is the one who does not do this. He says, rather, but blessed, in verse 2, there's a contrast, but blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Can can I ask us this question? What do you delight in? Do Do you find yourself delighting in the truth of God's word? I I find that to be such a strong word that the psalmist goes, I delight, I find joy. I, I, I find this sense of God's presence. I find this deep delight in the word of God. And he says, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. There's this sense for the psalmist in Psalm chapter one that he is saturated. He is thinking about it day and night. When he wakes up, he's thinking about God's word. When he goes to sleep, he's thinking about God's word. His life is rooted and saturated deeply in the truth of God's word. Do, Do we have that kind of priority on living saturated in the truth of God's word? Verse three, that person, the one who lives rooted in God's word, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now, I think what makes this passage even more um, meaningful is you have to recognize that in the landscape of Israel, they, they didn't have a whole lot of large trees because it's a dry, arid climate. They mostly had small sort of scrubby bushes. But where there was water available, you would notice that these trees were strong and they were flourishing and they would provide fruit. And the psalmist says the, the person who is rooted in the word of God, their life flourishes. Now, th- this doesn't mean successful and easy and simple. It doesn't mean that. It means flourishing is right living in relationship with the lordship of God, submitted to his authority, that our life flourishes in the way that God calls us to flourish in his presence and relationship, freed from sin and brokenness and destruction, alive fully in the grace of Jesus Christ. And he says, just as this tree that's by water flourishes and yields fruit, he goes, your life will flourish and yield the fruit of righteousness if you are rooted in the truth of God's word. 
He says, not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. They're not going to stand in the judgment. To walk in that way is to walk in a path of destruction. And the writer of Psalms says, rather than that, be rooted and submitted to the authority and the truth of God's word, saturated in it, soaked in it, finding delight in the truth of God's word. Let, let, let me leave us with some practical takeaways to challenge us and encourages us to be rooted in the word of God. Number one, I think church, we need to find time and space to be present with God and in the word. Find time, make time, right? I, I know all of us in this room, like we're busy people. We have a lot going on in our lives. And, and I would suggest that our lives are so busy and hectic that we cannot afford to neglect time in the word and time in prayer. We cannot afford to neglect it. If the word of God brings wisdom and insight and understanding, if it is, as Paul says, the wisdom of salvation, and we believe that it is to guide us, we cannot afford to neglect the truth of God's word and saturating it in our lives. To think about it day and night. We need the word of God to guide and direct us in truth and right living. So find time, create time in your day to be present in the word of God. Number two, fight distractions and hurry. If you sit down to read the word of God and you've got your phone and it's notifications going off and you find yourself going, oh, I should check that. And then you're checking your uh, DMs and then you're checking your email and then you're checking the weather and then the time's up and you didn't leave the phone aside. Shut your computer, turn off the TV, whatever the distractions are, fight those distractions, set them aside to prioritize time in the word of God, to soak and saturate your life in it. Number three, feed on the word of God. Read, meditate on, and memorize the word. Be in it, read it, meditate on it. I think that's a powerful word that the psalmist uses. He meditates, he's thinking about it, right? This is not Eastern meditation where you're emptying the mind. No, this is biblical meditation where you are filling your mind with the truth of God's word. And, and you're thinking about it, you're mulling it over. It's not, we're not like James says, uh, the, the one who reads the word walks away and forgets about it. No, we need to be people who read the word of God and go, what does that mean for me? How do I live that in my life? Thinking about it, mulling it over. And church, I think we often under, under uh, I don't know what the word is, under importantize, that's not a word, but you know what I'm trying to say. The importance of memorizing the word of God. When we memorize the word of God, when we hide it in our mind and in our heart, it goes with us everywhere. And so when you're in that difficult conversation with a coworker, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, slander, and malice. Be kind. Those things come back to us and they begin to transform those moments. Now, for some, when we talk about feeding on the word of God and reading it, you're going, I don't know where to start. Maybe, maybe you've heard this acronym, the SOAP method. Engage the scripture, read it. If you don't know where to start, start in one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Start there. Read a chapter a day. Or you could start and read a psalm a day. Or you could read a proverb a day. Or you could read a, a chapter out of one of the Gospels and a chapter out of the one of Proverbs. But start there. Engage the scripture. Secondly, observe. What are you noticing? Spend time with it. See, sometimes we read it and then we shut it and move on. Read it and meditate on it. Soak in it. Observe what things stick out to you. What questions do you have? I don't understand this. Write that down. Look it up. Right? Be in it. Observe. Then think about the application. What does this mean for my life? All scriptures, God breathed, useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness. How would you apply that to your life? What, what does that mean for us as the people of God? 
Which of those things, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, which of those things sticks out to you? Why does it stick out to you, right? Begin to, to think about how you would apply it to your life and then pray. Sometimes I turn that scripture into a prayer. Lord, would you teach me? Lord, would you show me where I need the rebuke of your word? Lord, would you bring correction where I need to walk more faithfully aligned with your truth? Lord, would you train me in righteousness? Turn it into a prayer of your life. And number four, follow Christ. Live out what you've learned. Put it into action. And so those four things, find, fight, feed, follow. Find time and space, fight distraction, feed on the word and follow Christ. That we can make living and walking in obedience to the word of God, the urgent priority that it should be. Because when we are so rooted and saturated in the truth, the lies become incredibly obvious because of the transformative power of the truth of God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. That as Paul says, all of scripture, all of it, Lord, is God breathed. That is inspired by your Holy Spirit. And it's profitable and it's effective in teaching us, in rebuking us in correcting and in training us. And so Lord, I pray that we would be a people who live our lives saturated in the truth of your word. That we would be a people, Lord, who submit to your lordship first and foremost, and that we submit to the authority and to the truth of your word. I pray that we would be like Timothy, that we would continue in the truth of your word, that we would be convinced that we would hold steadfastly and firmly to the truth of your word, Lord, not laying it aside, not turning to the left or right, but convinced and steadfast in your truth, Lord that we might be a wise and discerning people who have the understanding of the truth of your word, who are walking in righteousness as your word describes it. And I pray, Lord, that we would experience the flourishing that life with you brings, that we can know the truth and the truth, Lord, will set us free. So may we walk fully in the freedom of your word, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.